America live and underway here on ESPN Plus on a wonderful Monday alongside Hercules Gomez. I'm Sebi Salazar. Herc, how was your weekend? I thought it was as good as Casey Keller's there throwing out the first pitch at the Mariners season opener. And in quite some company, too. Yeah, yeah, the owner of the Oakland Roots, he can't throw for poop. I'll tell you that much. <laughs> hey, steady, steady. Yeah, who's that? Uh, Marshawn Lynch, Ken Griffey Jr., Gary Payton. I mean, those are big names in, in Seattle right. sports. Gives you, That's gives right. you an idea of just uh, where Casey Keller uh, ranks with the stars of Seattle. All right, we got the, plenty of stars, Herc, to talk about in this edition of Football Americas. Christian Pulisic has a new manager, again, not the first time. Mm. We had a historic weekend uh, as well in the National Women's Soccer League, so we'll uh, we'll recap all of that. And we had a weekend full of coaches complaining, Herc, in Major League Shocker. Soccer. But we'll save that uh, for a little bit later in the show. Let's start with a story that went viral over the weekend out of Liga MX. And it happened on Saturday night during the game between... Club America and Leon Arasteca, a physical altercation, we'll call it, between referee Fernando Hernandez and Leon's oh, no. Lucas Romero. You can see it right there. Hernandez, the referee, appears to knee Romero in the groin while giving him a yellow, by the way. Uh, the game would end in a 2-2 draw. We will show you the highlights later because it was a, a, a great game, but let's hear from those involved first. As always on this show, we are referee last and player First, so let's hear from Lucas Romero. Nos da la impresión de que el árbitro te da un rodillazo, es así? Son cosas que quedan adentro de la cancha, no, no voy a hablar de eso. Ahora, ya está, ya pasó. Obviamente son seres humanos, muchas veces se pueden equivocar y eso, estas equivocaciones terminan desarrollando eso que pasó, no, muchas malos entendidos. Yo no creo que haya sido con mala intención. All right, so Romero taking the high road. What about the referee himself, Fernando Hernandez? Here's what he had to say to the fans and the public in general. I offer an apology as well as to Lucas Romero for my reaction yesterday. I would never attack him as well as any other player. Hernandez continued, aware of this, I will abide by the resolution that the disciplinary committee takes. All right, Herc, lots of talk about this, not just in Mexico, but worldwide. So what should happen to the referee here? What kind of consequences should he face for his actions? Let me just start off by saying how unfortunate this is, because if you think about it, the last 13 months that Liga Mekis has had news on a world stage, on an mm -hmm. international stage, it's been the fan violence in Querétaro versus At mm. Atlas, those images that transmitted around the world, and now this a referee striking a player. And I, I ask myself, because I know that referees are in this impossible position. They are abused mm -hmm. emotionally, verbally, physically, at all levels of the sport in many countries, whether it's amateur, collegiate, whether it's professional. They're abused and there are people, they are humans as well. But in this specific case, I go back and I think of this referee, Fernando Hernandez, and where have I seen that name before? Mm. Well, actually, in a Copa MX game, it was actually Fernandez and Pablo Aguilar, after the game ended, mm -hmm. tosses him, and there's a headbutt, a little clash, if you will, and the referee's commission, after Pablo Aguilar was given 10 games, was so mm -hmm. distraught and so upset, how can it only be 10 games? We need to set an example that they themselves went on strike the following week. 
There was no yep. football played week 10 of Liga Mekis back in 2017. 10 games is what Pablo Aguilar got. Mm -hmm. This is an official. I know that it was somewhat provoked. It was very much a soccer action, right? It was somebody provokes, and it was the second one we see. And well, that's it was a the refereeing one. action. Right, right. <laughs> and that's the one that we're going to judge. Yes. This has to be and made an example for both. It, it, Lucas Romero, the player as well, he should get mm -hmm. some extensive time, but Fernando Hernandez, we're not going to see him again this season. We may not see him again next season. Uh, Ramos Rizzo, our colleague who does uh, officiating for ESPN, has said that his international career will most likely be over. He could be a Gold Cup and World Cup referee in the future. That's going to end. I'm not saying the man should never referee mm. again. <clears throat> but you could see the look in his eye. He, he went after a player. I don't know how we can just act like it's nothing and move on from it. Because I know that's what yeah. Leon wants to do. Because their yeah. player, Lucas Romero, if not... You know, if we just move on, he will also won't be sanctioned, won't be punished. So I understand that's what they want to do, but it's not what we should do. I think we're going to see some extensive time, and I think it's going to be probably a year. Yeah. So if we go back to that 2017 incident that you mentioned, there was another incident as well, kind of that week or the week before right. with Rivero, a player with Toluca. And those two incidents sparked the, the referee strike that you talk about. Now, in that instance, it was 10 games for Aguilar. Then the referees wanted more. They got a year. Eventually, Cass, the uh, Center for Arbitration and Sport, came back and, and moved it to the original punishment, which was 10. But the Referees Association has already come out and said, violence of this type is worth a year. So I don't know if the referees have anything to fall back on here, Herc, if they want anything less than a year. This is a really bad look, and, and I appreciate the point that you made. You know, we talk a lot about Liga Mekis as an international property. Right. And we compare it a lot to MLS. And a lot of times we wonder, like, is the talent difference that much? How come MLS players go for for such big bucks abroad? And every time we hear about Liga Mekis abroad, it's it's either a Mexican or an American telling us, oh, in, in Europe, they don't pay any attention to this league. And the few times that this league grabs headlines, it's it's this to your point about Querétaro. It's that it's something else that happens in this game. One of the managers getting it, his shirt ripped off. That's what goes viral. That's what the world knows about Mexican soccer. They don't know the quality of Liga Mekis. They really only know its quirks. Uh, and that, to me, is sad. On the act of players, her swarming the official. As a player, surely, surely that has to stop. Absolutely. And I start off the conversation with acknowledging how difficult the task of being a referee is, how thankless it is. There needs to be some change. Trust me, you coach at a youth level, my my. My kids are now getting into youth soccer. We've heard the horror stories. I've been a player. I can tell you what I've seen on the field, the treatment that these referees have to endure. It is nothing pleasant. And I feel for them. I really do. He let his emotions get the best of him in this case. But you're absolutely right. The mass confrontations, the, the constant attacks from players and, provo mm -hmm. uh, um, and, and provocations that, that happened, it, it was just bound to boil over. It, it's yeah. just ironic that it happened to Hernandez. Yeah. And, and look, that happens everywhere in the world, Herc, those things. Yes. But Liga Mekis clearly has an image issue to the rest of the world. So they need to focus on this and somehow put a stop to it. Because at the end of the day, it's overshadowing what was a really, really good game. So let's get to the highlights between Club America uh, and Leon, who played an absolute thriller yeah. at the Estadio Azteca. And it's not just for the drama. Huh? There was some good football as well. There we see the protagonist. We'll pick it up late in the first half. Leon are going to break through here. Alvarado, 1-0. Yeah, no, nothing that Malayon could do there. It's a ridiculous ball in. Look at 
The placement of this ball enticing. He gets over his man and <laughs> golazo. So one nothing there. Leon takes the lead. Now Malagón could do nothing there, but he could do something here. Uh, security, security, please. <laughs> we got a we got a dove on the field. Sure hands from the América goalie. América looking for the equalizer. They find it in the 63rd minute, but controversially hurt. Shouts of a handball here as Diego Valdez scores. I thought the Dove meant peace. Relax, people, <laughs> relax. This should have been at least looked at the VAR. There was no instant replay on the telecast by, by the home network, which is really strange. And then this happened. Oh, mm -hmm. Just all sorts of wrong going here. And then the referee would incite, I guess, some uh, violence from the coaches. But this yep. should have been at least go to VAR. For my money, it was a handball. Should not have counted. So now you've seen it. That was a play that led to the incident with the center referee. America looking for a second. Alejandro Zendejas back to the man who gave it to him. Henry Martin, que golazo. Yeah, this, this came in a matter of seconds. It was like a minute after mm -hmm. the non-VAR call. And it's a golazo. Look at that ball by Zendejas. And Henry Martin just continuing that stellar performance. And it's 2-1. El Tri fans thinking, what could have been that Zendejas committed to Mexico? We had a fight on the sidelines, too. There's Tan Ortiz and Nicolás Larcamón. It got heated, and they both got tossed. Yeah, word on the street was uh, Larcamón was reminded by Tan Ortiz of the 11 goals he ate up when he was a Puebla coach, and then he uh, had some, a message for his mother, and he didn't take too kindly to it. That's right. Tan Ortiz says, you can cross a lot of lines. You can't talk about my mama. Joel Campbell, the late equalizer for León. A ridiculous golazo. He just come on like a minute before that. Nestor Araujo, I don't know what he's doing. He's trying to anticipate yeah. the yeah, ball exactly. there. Oh. Exactly. Araujo, what are you doing? What are you doing? Joel Campbell with the uh, late equalizer there as Leon takes a point at Azteca. Clásico Tapatio, the oldest in Mexico. Atlas, Chivas, fifth minute. What a start for Chivas. Piojo Alvarado gonna make it 1-0. Yeah, that line of three at the back, those center backs can't keep track of Piojo Alvarado. All pace, and look where he puts this, Sebi. Camilo Vargas can do nothing. Mm -hmm. There's been complaints about lack of end product from Piojo before, not there. 31st minute, 2-0 Chivas. This takes a wicked bounce on Camilo Vargas here. Look, look at this bounce right here. He doesn't see it at the end, but that's just an insane bounce. And he'll take that 2-0. Carlos Cisneros with the goal. Atlas quick response. Julian Quinones. Yeah, Wacho Jimenez, if you come out for this, you better win this. He he does. I not. mean, it would have been a penalty if they didn't score, right? Yeah, yeah, I think you're right. And Quinones, he takes advantage of that. First half stoppage time. Atlas strikes again. It's 2 2. Who's on the, who's on the poster? There's that Enel Beltran. Can you not jump? Come on, my man. What are you? Come on. Shades of Steve Girondolo and Giovanni Dos Santos oh, there. Oh, yeah. No, it wasn't two, Steve 2-2 two in the 56. It wasn't. And Alexis Vega does that, and then and then he's going to get himself a drink. Hurt. Eric Lehigh it was. And it's, what is he drinking, by the way? I, Pilar Perez and Aronuka said it was uh, Aguita de Riñon. That's kidney water. Make it that mm. what you will. Okay. Did you get a yellow for that? Come on. Uh, Wacho Jimenez here going to give up a... That's oh, a there's another, uh, that was oh, a That's a replay of the, of the yeah, Vega goal. Uh, ruled offside. And then 3-2 here. Watch out, Jimenez. Juicy rebound. And uh, Atlas going to take advantage. 3-3. Yeah, you got to help Wacho Jimenez first, but there. VAR would, uh, would sort this you out. You have to help Wacho Jimenez. This is a ridiculous save here. Somebody, anybody, help him. 3-3 after the goal given. And that's how it finished between Atlas 
and Chivas. What about Rayados? Boy, they're starting to run right with the uh, league, at least the regular season, taking on Cholos, sixth minute. Rodrigo Aguirre. Gonna find Maxi Mesa, and Rayados take the lead. Yeah, it's uh, Aguirre right there with the finish. It's a ridiculous, nice little finish off of his head. Toño Rodriguez can do nothing. He's gonna celebrate that. From there, 22nd minute. Another assist from Aguirre. It's time to Ortiz. No, Aguirre again with the goal. I mean, what are you doing right there? It's, it's Aguirre just taking it by himself. Tony Rodriguez comes out trying to make himself big. He can't handle that. And it's 2-0 Rayados. More from Monterrey. 33rd minute. John Medina. Perterame. Three. I mean... Just an embarrassment of riches. Berterame, Aguirre, Funes Mori, Poncho, Gonzalez, all scoring goals. Like, what do you want? Uh, apparently, they wanted a fourth. Luis Romo, Berterame. Except they're at 34 points already. I, I won the league with Santos at with 36 points with a first place team. They got four games to go. That's a possible 12 next points. Come on. 4 0 in the final, 11 out of 13 wins this season for Rayados. Of course, the uh, top 12 there in Mexico get into the postseason. The top four get the bye. Rayados first, Toluca second, Baby Tigres. Uh, Leon third, Club America fourth. Pachuca, Chivas right there knocking on the door of the top four. Tigres seventh. Five straight now, Herc, for your beloved Tigres without a win across yeah, all competitions. It. I know you don't, I know you don't. I see it didn't make its way into the rundown. Yeah. There are some proposed changes for Liga MX Expansion though, and those did make it into the rundown. So why don't we focus on the Mexican second division here. Here are the proposed changes. Really not just the second division, but the structure of Mexican football. The under 20 league is gonna be dissolved. So the team's players there will be combined into Expansion squads. There'll be 24 teams, one for each Liga MX team, and six certified clubs is what they're calling them. A limit of only three foreign players per team. You must field five players ages 19 through 23 at all times. And Herc, how about this? The return of promotion relegation with an asterisk and a healthy one. If the league champ is one of the so-called certified clubs, they'd get a playoff against a Liga MX side for spots in the first division. All right, Herc, are these changes a good idea or a bad idea for Mexican soccer? It's a terrible idea for Mexican soccer. We always talk about how it's not a true promotion relegation in Liga Mekis because how it is now, they have two seasons like Argentina used to do. And in those two seasons, they do a percentage of three years. So the worst team in a three-year cycle, that percentage, they will get relegated. Well, now what they're saying is only six cl clubs, excuse me, can actually have the right to be promoted. So if you're one of those six clubs that has the right to be promoted, you will go off and have a playoff match versus the loser of this percentage. But the thing is, you're playing with handcuffs, with the restrictions that they give mm. you. They're saying that you can only have three foreign players. So you can only play with three foreign players. And you have to have five players of 19 to 23 years of age, which on paper sounds good. You think to yourself, well, they're developing the Mexican player. But certainly, if you're supposed to have five on the field, you have to plan and be deep with it. So that means you have to have subs for them. And if not further, because there is injury, run a form, illness. There's also call-ups for these talented players. Mm. So you're essentially fielding a U23 team with a few exceptions and only three foreigners to go up against a full-fledged first division team with first division players that's fighting to stay up in first division. 
those six certified teams, if one of those six certified teams does not win this second division that they're proposing amongst these mm. kids, then what happens is the next team, well, what they will do is, I guess, just win an economic prize. And what is the worst team? For example, Mazatlan, who will be, will be fast approaching 100 <laughs> uh, uh, games in, in, or 100 defeats, I should say, in Liga MX, what would they do? They would just pay a fine. It's essentially more the same. It's not true pro-rel. Mm -hmm. It's them closing that circle. It's the worst of any possible type of promotion relegation you could possibly, possibly think of. And what are they doing? Trying to fool mm -hmm. you. Yeah. Negative Nancy, Hercules Gomez. All right, you don't like these solutions. I want to hear your solutions in a little bit. Um, I think these are good ideas. I don't entirely disagree with you that, that some of it is bad execution. The thing that specifically I don't like is that this sounds a lot like what USL used to be. Remember before the MLS two teams left? And I think when you have a league where some teams are reserve teams and some teams are trying to be first team professional squads, there's just a competitive imbalance there. And I think that was a problem for the USL that they've solved. And I don't like that here. I don't think this is going to be a truly competitive league if you're mixing reserves and, and teams that are chasing the ambition of a first division spot. But Herc, I'm never going to say no, even if it's with a huge asterisk to promotion and relegation. This is at least, Herc, opening the door. And I think when you open the door, nope. one thing you're going to do is you're going to attract some interest. Because even for those six certified teams, maybe there's only six spots, people are going to look at that and say, if I invest there, I could have a Liga Mekis, a first division team on the cheap. That's not something that exists right now in Mexican soccer. And I don't hate the idea, the other part of this, of forcing teams to play young players. This is something that Against has happened young before players. to great success in Mexican football. This isn't the first time. There's a famous 2011 rule back in the early 2000s that, that birthed a great generation of Mexican players, Wrong. some of whom are still playing a guy like Andres Guardado. So Wrong. What do you mean? Wrong, because that rule forced these young players to play against older players, to play against actual first-team players, not against other kids. That's the, the difference here, Seb. That's where you're the not The execution is bad. Okay, the execution is bad, but the idea is good. You need to force teams to play players because we've seen it work in Mexico before. You don't like these ideas. What, what's your solution? Because clearly after here's the my World solution. Cup fracaso, here's after the fracaso, you've got to make major here's changes, my right? These here's are structural my changes. If you really want pro Real, open the pyramid up. Stop the three-year percentage because you know what the three-year percentage was made for? To protect the big clubs. You'd have to be a terrible team to have six straight tournaments of being terrible and then you deserve to go down. So if you're Chivas, Pumas, who by the way have been there knocking on that door and mm -hmm. about to get relegated and have only been saved, have only been saved by the percentage because in a regular one-year season, they would have both been relegated. If you're that bad, you go down. Mm -hmm. And if you're that good, you go up. That is promotion relegation. You don't say, you know what? You get out to jump through hoops and then you got to feel the U23 team and beat mm -hmm. an actual professional team to go to first division. And if you could do that, guess what? You're in the club. Congrats. Come on, Seb. The worst thing about this three-year uh, percentage, by the way, is it's not only the team that gets protected from going down, but the team that goes up, you've got one year to work with that percentage. So if you do well, you'll probably stay. If you lose a few games, you're certainly going back down. And you're going back down in a way that the Premier League and La Liga, none we're going to help you try to get back up with a parachute payment. You're never coming back up again. That's a reality.
There he is, Hercules Gomez, adding his voice to the chorus of those against promotion and relegation I'm all for here Pro Real in Pro North Rel. America. Not your version of Pro Rel. Uh, Liga Mekis doesn't have Pro Rel yet, but it is on ESPN Plus and ESPN Deportes. Uh, at least on Friday night, we got Cholos against Querétaro. Kickoff 11 p.m. Eastern Time, 8 p.m. Pacific again on ESPN Plus and ESPN Deportes. All right, Herc. Let's run it back. Starts in the Eredivisie, where Santiago Jimenez scores again. This one in a 3-1 victory for Feyenoord over Sparta Rotterdam. That's eight goals in 10 games. Sebi, I'm not saying it's the same, but he's got 16 goals, three assists in his debut season in Europe. Chicharito had 20 and five for comparison's mm. sake. Big goal as well. This the game winner. It came in the 70th minute. Feyenoord now eight points clear of Ajax and PSV were tied in second place. It's his ninth Eredivisie goal of the season. 16 across all comps in Europe, though. Herc, you always remind us he did hit those five for Cruz Azul before the transfer. What a season it has been for Santiago Jimenez. Speaking of Mexican internationals, David Ochoa made his Liga Mekis debut. He came on as a sub as Atletico San Luis won 2-1 over Mazatlán, Herc. Yeah, comes on minute 58 for Marcelo Barroero, El Trapito, he got injured. Uh... I'm just saying, and hear me out, if he can become a regular starter, by default, he's in that national team mix. There are no goalkeepers, no Mexican goalkeepers in Mexico right now playing. There he is, David Ochoa. Where will that. he be on El Tris? My little Nahuel Guzman. For 2026. We all know breakfast is an important part of your day. But sometimes when you're traveling for business, you end up staying at a hotel that doesn't offer any. You know what happens? You grab a cup of coffee and skip the meal entirely. We've all been there. But if you book a room at La Quinta by Wyndham, you can enjoy their free bright side breakfast featuring delicious baked goods, fruit, eggs, yogurt, and waffles. And really, who doesn't want to start their day with a fresh, hot waffle? Tonight, La Quinta, tomorrow you shine. Book direct at LQ.com. This podcast is proud to be supported by Jets Pizza, the number one pick in Detroit-style pizza. Why? It's simple. Jets is better. With the thickest, crispiest, cheesiest Detroit-style pizza in the country, there's no competition. Right now, get $5 off any eight-corner pizza with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Go to jetspizza.com to learn more and find a location near you. Again, try Jets' signature eight-corner pizza and get $5 off with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Jets Pizza. Better because it has to be. All right, let's talk Premier League. Herc, big news on Sunday. Chelsea sacking manager Graham Potter after less than seven months in charge. This after Chelsea lost 2-0 at home to Aston Villa. The Blues currently 11th in the table. Still alive, of course, in the Champions League. They get Real Madrid in the quarterfinals. Bruno Saltor, who was part of Potter's staff at both Chelsea and Brighton, will take over on an interim basis. Herc, let's boil this down to Christian Pulisic. Is this good news? or bad news for Pulisic? Same news, rinse and repeat. I mean, I think this is what gets people with Christian Pulisic. He's easily one of the, he easily has one of the best club careers in Europe for a US men's national team prospect player. And he's only 24 years of old, or age, excuse me. It's not debatable. You look at what he's done, he's already won a Champions League, he dones a 10 shirt at Chelsea, the goals, the assist, how young he is, everything he's done. You just keep waiting for him to explode 
to the next level. This is the face of U.S. soccer, et cetera, et cetera. But then you ask yourself, well, why did he have troubles with Frank Lampard? And trouble he couldn't get on the field or couldn't stay healthy to stay on the field or, or he didn't get that opportunity. And then it was after Frank Lampard, it was Thomas Tuchel. Certainly he would get that opportunity with Thomas Tuchel. Thomas Tuchel gave him his opportunity, gave him his first team debut at Borussia Dortmund. And then it's, it doesn't work out with Thomas Tuchel. And then we hear the things about him writing a book, uh, you know, and Thomas Tuchel being in it and his displeasure with Thomas Tuchel. And then it's Graham Potter. Things will certainly get better. And it's the same thing. He doesn't play with Graham Potter, and then when he does, he gets injured, and you're always waiting for Christian Pulisic to explode. You're always thinking to yourself, when is it going to be Christian Pulisic's time? And it got me thinking about something that a former teammate, might, DeMarcus Beasley, he once shared a story with us, um, and DeMarcus Beasley was talking about how he got called back to the national team with Jurgen Klinsmann, and Jurgen asked him what happened at Hanover. He was there at Hanover, had a stint, and he didn't play much. And DeMarcus said something to the extent like he didn't know. He didn't know why he didn't play much. And, and Jurgen kind of had a talk with him like, hey, Bees, there is no coach in his right mind that wouldn't play a player that would help him win. And sometimes it's the players who have to take ownership of their actions, of their responsibilities, of the opportunities they have or have not shown they can get or earn. And that's where I think Christian Pulisic has to take a little bit of a responsibility, a little bit of look in the mirror, because it can't always be, it's on Frank Lampart, it's on Thomas mm -hmm. Tuchel, it's on Graham Potter. Sometimes, and maybe this time, it has to be on Christian Pulisic. So whether Graham Potter leaves and the next guy comes in, next person comes in, that doesn't matter for Christian Pulisic. This may be too, too much water under the bridge with Chelsea, and he needs to leave. And he needs to leave. But the next place he does go, that next place, it needs to be on Christian Pulisic. Because you've seen the flashes, but they've been just that. And he's easily, and I repeat, easily one of the most successful players in Europe in a U.S. men's national team jersey that's ever played already. And he's 24 years of age. But if he wants to get to that next level that he's shown mm. flashes of, it needs to be on him. Potter leaving is definitely not good news for Christian Pulisic. It's bad news for me specifically because of the relationship with Pulisic and Potter. Right after the World Cup, Pulisic got three straight starts. I know we talked about it in our production meeting. You didn't put that much weight on that, Herc. But for me, that was really important. That was just before the transfer window. He was given an opportunity, and he started three straight games, including the one that he gets hurt in, the big one, against Manchester City. Beyond that, maybe like a couple weeks ago, we saw a report that Pulisic and Chelsea might be considering an extension, and a lot of that was Potter's interest uh, in the player. So I think Potter specifically and Pulisic could have worked out for the rest of this season. I don't know if it changes, like you said, his, his future at Chelsea. I disagree with you here. I think, Herc, when you look at the reasons for why Christian Pulisic, at the end of the day, we probably won't call his Chelsea career a success, I think you can talk about the injuries. You can even talk about the form. But the top of the list for me is the instability at managers. This is his fourth manager since he got there, Herc. And there's not a young player that's going to go into a situation like Chelsea and you're going to change over manager after manager after manager and it's going to work out. I go back to year one, and I know you mentioned Frank Lampard. That was Christian Pulisic's best year at Chelsea. In Pandemic 34 year. games. No fans in the stands. In 34 games across all comps. Just listen to these stats. 17... Goals or assists. Mm -hmm. So basically a goal contribution every other game as a 19, 20-year-old in your first league in the 
first year in the Premier League. Christian Pulisic had the quality. He never had the confidence of his manager. Were there other reasons? Yes, but a lot of that is because the manager never stuck around long enough. There's a huge what if. There's an alternate universe for me, Herc. If Lampard stays at Chelsea and succeeds and Pulisic stays with him, I think this is a totally different conversation. You're right. It's Lampard's fault. I'm just saying, and I know people don't want to hear this, and, and mm -hmm. I don't want to say it, but at some point it needs to be on Christian Pulisic as well. And, and, yeah. and we keep giving him a pass because of the flashes, because he's the face of U.S. soccer. But at some point, it's on him. It's his responsibility. And Thierry Henry famously said he needs to free himself. It's just one of those situations. Only he can help himself. All right, so Christian Pulisic at Chelsea. Let's check in on some other Americans that did their thing over the weekend, Herc, across Europe. Start with a familiar name, Ricardo Pepe. His 10th Eredivisie goal of the season. Unfortunately, it came in a loss. Ronigan falling 3-1 to Fortuna Sitar. PSV, Ajax, Benfica. We've heard these all mentioned. Fabrizio Romano just mentioned PSV and Ajax. There's a strong possibility there's bigger and better in the horizon. From I heard a Premier League team as well in that report. Ooh. Ronigan right now, 17th out of 18 in the Eredivisie, headed towards relegation. Baller in Balogun, not a goal, Hurt. He can do more and assist his third of the season. Third of the season, he had an opportunity in this game as well uh, to score a goal. It went off the crossbar. Whether it's goals or assists, you just got to keep that good form going. So uh, Rams are three nothing winners over Nantes. Balogun picks up an assist. Malik Tillman with a brace. For Rangers, his ninth and 10th league goals of the season. Let me ask you a question, Seb. Would you say the Scottish Premier League is better than Premierships? It is better than Major League Soccer? I got to be honest with you. You always, you always ask this question. I don't watch enough of the Scottish League to really know. I, I think I get what you're saying. The 10 league goals aren't that impressive, but or maybe relative to what some of the other guys are doing, but. You can, only, you can only do it against who you're playing against. You gotta give him credit. No, I give more credit for his Europa League performances, if I'm being honest, which has been great. Rangers, 2-0 uh, winners there over Dundee United. Kevin Paredes with his third Bundesliga assist for Wolfsburg in a 2-2 draw against Augsburg. Yeah, this is this is crazy because he's, I mean, he's 19 years old. He's uh, It feels like every week we're saying a, a goal or assist yep. for him. I, I don't even yep. think he's had 50 or 60 like first league appearances between DC and Wolfsburg. So nah. <laughs> it's crazy to me that he's having this success already. Former DC United product, and of course, uh, shout out Bethesda Soccer Club, where Kevin played in his early days. St. Pauli in the uh, German lower leagues. Nine straight wins for their manager, Fabian Hutzler, who was born in the United States, actually in Houston, Her He's 30 years old, a young guy there in Bundesliga, too. Yeah, he was one of those dual nats. Back when there was actual dual nat panic, he was a central midfielder uh, that was a German under, uh, oh, sorry, youth national team, US youth national team. They've been undefeated this year. Undefeated, he took the team when they were one point out of the relegation zone. 27 points, 27 straight points now. Speaking of teams with American leadership, Wrexham, they hit 100 points, closing in on automatic promotion. If you uh, watch, this is Wrexham. You know, last season they lost in the in the playoffs, so automatic promotion, Herc, would be huge for Ryan Reynolds and Rob McElhenney. They got six games to go, and it's already a club record, 100 points, so it's looking likely. And of course, Rob Ryan, standing invite here on Football Americas. We see all the interviews you do with SportsCenter. Don't forget about the little guys. Huh? Don't forget about Football Americas. We will uh, we'll hype Wrexham up as they chase a spot in League Two, the fourth tier.
uh, of the English pyramid. German Cup on ESPN Plus. It's Paxton Aronson's Eintracht Frankfurt against Jordan Peefox Union Berlin in the quarterfinals. That's Tuesday, 11.50 a.m. Uh, Eastern time. And don't forget Timothy Chandler. How, how could I forget? And Geraldo Becker. German Cup quarterfinals on ESPN Plus Tuesday. Hi, it's Mike Greenberg letting you know ESPN Bet is ready to take you through all the biggest sports moments this spring. The official sportsbook of ESPN has exclusive offers and markets from Scott Van Pelt, Stephen A. Smith, and me, plus many more. From the playoff intensity to finally getting out to the ballpark, there's no better time for sports fans. Sign up today. New users get a bet reset up to $1,000 in bonus bets if your first bet doesn't win. Download ESPN Bet today. What a play. Must be 21 plus and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. See app for details. To the National Women's Soccer League. What a weekend. We'll start with Portland against Kansas City. Sophia Smith, a hat trick in a 4-1 win for Portland. Are you saying that the player I picked to win MVP already has four goals in two games? The player that I picked, not that you picked? There he is, making it all about himself. She is now the fastest player and the youngest player, Herc, to 25 goals in league history. Sophia Smith setting all sorts of records. Crystal Dunn scoring in that game as well. Meanwhile, Jess Fishlock becoming the first player to score in all 10 NWSL seasons as O.L. Reign get a 2-0 win over Gotham FC on Saturday. Here's one for you. One of five players to stay with the original NWSL teams for the existence. Tori Husker, Washington Spirit, Megan Rapino, Lauren Barnes, O.L. Reign, and Sinclair Portland. San Diego Wave. Alex Morgan with two goals. Jaden Shaw with one as they beat the North Carolina Courage. Three to one. Tell me if you had him chasing Portland in the league lead and Alex Morgan working on another golden boot. I did not. But I had him having a pretty good season and they had another really good crowd right around 16,000 as San Diego wins three to one. Meanwhile, Maria Sanchez and Diana Ordonez, the first Mexican duo to score in the same game in NWSL history. How about that? The Houston Dash, 2-1 winners over the Chicago Red Stars as Sanchez and Ordonez get on the board. Let's hear from Diana Ordonez after the game. Houston Dash, big winners over Chicago. I think something for us, especially us being, you know, Mexican and American, is that, you know, we want to make history uh, and we want to be a part of that and building you know, here at the Dash and also building on the Mexican national team. So for us to come away so early in the season and our first time playing together um, with that kind of, you know, history marker, I guess, is really cool for us. I mean, I know I'm really proud of Maria and, and really blessed to be able to play on the same team as her. So that's the goal for us. We just want to continue to kind of, you know, make a name for Mexican soccer and, and continue to play well in this league. All right, shout out to uh, the striker there to do some great job covering all soccer in the great state of Texas. Katie Johnson, speaking of Mexican internationals, the latest game-winning goal, Herc, in NWSL regular season history. It came for your Angel City as they beat Orlando 2-1. to 99th minute. All right, all right. I see a lot of people complaining there was only supposed to be eight minutes. Relax. It was a VAR call in between. Relax. Settle down, people. Good, good weekend for El Three Femenil. How about that as we take a look at the NWSL standings through two games, just the two perfect teams left 
Portland and San Diego Wave. Let's talk Major League Soccer, Herc. Seattle in the LA Galaxy, one of the big games uh, this weekend. Sounders end up winning 2-1. Jordan Morris with another goal. It is the 100th regulation win for Brian Schmetzer, which makes him the fastest coach to reach that milestone in MLS history. Now, Hark, in the past, you have said Schmetzer, I believe, correct me if I'm wrong, is in your top three all-time, up there with Bob Bradley and Bruce Arena. Uh, what, if anything more, can Brian Schmetzer do to be number one on your all-time list of MLS coaches? I, I, I don't think he can, and it's unfair. I, I just don't think he has time on his side. You look at a coach like... Bruce Arena, who's the mm -hmm. oldest coach, by the way, in Major League Soccer, 70 years of age. He's been coaching Major League Soccer for 26 years. He's got, what, five MLS Cups. He's won an Open Cup, uh, a few Supporters Shield, et cetera, et cetera. He's won his version of the CONCACAF Champions League and then the Copa Interamericana, which would pit them against Vasco de Gana, where DC United won that as well. And, and, and if you look at, if you look at, Coaches like Bruce Arena and Bob Bradley and the wins, like this makes what Brian Schmetzer did even more incredible. Brian Schmetzer's doing it on a seven-year run, and he's doing it in an era where there are no shootouts, when there are no, you have to win. There are ties nowadays. Bruce Arena, Bob Bradley, they got to pad those stats in a way because there was forced to be a winner or a loser. You could go and get to those wins at a higher pace, but he doesn't have the time. He's mm. one of the four oldest coaches in Major League Soccer. He's on my Mount Rushmore for sure. I have him only behind Bruce Arena. Um, he'd have to win another three MLS Cups in the rest of his Major League Soccer tenure, however long that lasts. I, I don't think it happens, but when you look at the incredible run that Brian Schmetzer has had, and, and, and not just that, we always knock Major League Soccer for the history it does not have. Mm. Major League Soccer doesn't have history. It's been around for less than 30 years. Uh, there is no history. There is no history. I hear this all the time. Brian Schmetzer and the Seattle Sounders have history. Brian Schmetzer is one of the guys you want to root for. Brian Schmetzer has played for the Seattle Sounders, has coached for the Seattle Sounders in USL, has played indoor soccer, has played A-League, has, has coached in Major League Soccer. He's been at all these different levels in Seattle. And to see what he's done in such a short time, the amount of wins, what he's won, how they've done it. It's only Bruce Arena, only Bruce Arena that could stand in his way, but I don't see it happening. Yeah. Aside from time, right, the biggest differentiator between the two is that Arena can say he's done it in multiple places and Schmetzer can't, right? At least at this point in his career, he really would have to, you feel, Herc, like go somewhere else, have similar success to what he's had in Seattle, and then I think you could put him in the same conversation as Arena. The important point here is that Arena's not done coaching. We don't know what's going to happen with him at New England Revolution. Maybe he'll win some more titles there. And neither is Bob Bradley. You know, he's got a huge budget in Toronto. He could add to his resume. So Schmetzer's not chasing guys here that are standing still. He's chasing guys that could still add more to their trophy cases. I do think, though, we got to throw all the flowers we can at Brian Schmetzer because for all that Seattle did to transcend when they came into the league, it wasn't until he showed up that they got the big trophies. I know the Open Cup. You're not going to find me disparaging the Open Cup Four here. of them. But the big trophies, the big trophies, they showed up when Brian Schmetzer took over. And that's worth acknowledging. For all the ambition of Seattle, this is the guy 
who got him over that hump. Yeah, I don't think he needs to leave, though. I hear this argument that he needs to leave and, and go coach elsewhere to prove that you can do that. That, that, that could be detrimental as well. We don't say the same thing about Baldo Maldini or, or a, a Pelé or these players that have played at one place their whole careers and won everything. Yeah. But we're going to yep. ask Brian Schmetzer to go do it because he's supposed to prove something to us. I just don't think he has the time. I mean, what he's done in seven years, Bruce Arena had 26 years to achieve, you know? And mm-hmm. he's, he's been to two other MLS Cups that he's lost, so he's also gotten there. Uh, League's Cup runner-up, et cetera, et cetera. In a seven-year span, for a guy that was the eternal backup, eternal assistant coach to, to the late, great Siggy Schmidt. So Seattle ends up winning this game against the LA Galaxy 2-1. to one. That is now 10 straight games, Herc, where the Galaxy have been unable to beat the Seattle Sounders. And you know who was upset about it afterwards? Greg Venny. Not just upset about the 10 games, upset about the officiating as well. Let's listen in. Having said that, I think this is the third game that we've been undone on a handball, uh, in my opinion. I believe this. This is in the silhouette. This is in the silhouette. This is not in the silhouette. This is a handball. When Dayon takes one off of his chest and the referee is 25 yards back making the call from behind the play, what is he doing? Mm-hmm. That's, not, that's two games ago. The last game, this is a ball that's shot. It hits under the arm and goes that way is a handball. That is not the silhouette. Three games in a row, these guys don't know what handball is. It's getting to be obscene, honestly. It's ridiculous. And the game is about margins. They have VAR. They have the ability. They're the only entity in the entire game who gets a redo. None of us else get a redo. They get a redo. And three times they can't get it right. That's their job. That's their job. And this right now, we're, we're grinding. We're in the margins. We deserve better. We deserve better. We controlled this game. We controlled the last game. We deserve better. Yes, we need to execute better. That's on us. But what we deserve, we should get. That's fair. And those three were not fair. And that's frustrating. And I'm fighting for my guys. My guys are sitting in there dumbfounded that they can't get a call. And that's why I'm sitting here to say it's unacceptable by them. Unacceptable. Greg Vanny sounding off, Herc. You tell them to get lost or actually, first things first, was it a penalty on Nuhu? Uh, I don't know if it was a penalty, and I think that's where, that's where it's hard to tell them to get lost or to sympathize or not because you see the discourse online and everybody's all over the place with it. Mm-hmm. And that's the situation. He talks about the silhouette. knew who's turning his, to his side, making himself slimmer, and that's not the reason the Galaxy lost. He talks about control. The Galaxy were better in the second half. Yes, they were. Thoroughly dominated in the second half. Gave up some bad goals. And this is a Galaxy that's winless this year with only three goals for. He's right, they were hard done. Dejan was hard done versus Vancouver. I didn't mm-hmm. think it was a handball. It should have been the game winner. It wasn't. This is frustration seeping over. This is Greg Vanny, who in my estimation is a very good coach. Frustrated that he's trying to save face for an organization, a once great organization whose ownership hides, who Chris Klein hides who expect everything to boil over. The fans are stupid. They'll forget about it later. Don't worry, we'll keep making the money, keep selling the sponsorships, keep filling up the stands. Nobody will notice the supporters. 
They're not there. There is no ambiance. Let's focus on the referees. That's not why you lost. That's not mm. why the Galaxy are struggling. That's not why you can't make any summer transfers. That's not why you got to find a million dollars in actual money and another in GAM. That's not why the Galaxy today, today is watching their neighbor win on and off the field and you're sitting here talking about the referees. I understand Greg Vanny, and I sympathize. Mm -hmm. He's a leader. He's a good coach. But your frustrations aren't with pro. Your frustrations are with AEG and Chris Klein. And your fans, your fans don't want to hear about a handball. Your fans don't want to hear about, let's dump it in the box that should have been so we could tie the game at home versus a team that's dominated us for 10 straight games. Look back. Before those 10 straight games, you know when the last time before those 10 straight games that Seattle had won in Los Angeles was? Do you know when it was? Never. When? Never. <laughs> LA Galaxy once was a great club. The club in Major League Soccer. But you're hanging on to the past. You're not focusing on the present. And there surely is no future this, if you keep going this way. Frustration or not, Herc, I'm giving him a definite get loss. I can handle a little bit of complaining after a game. As long as you're talking about the game that just wrapped. But now we're reliving a game a week ago, a game three weeks ago. Like, how far back are we going to go with the Galaxy playing the victim here? And I get Greg Vanny's frustration. But when you lose, all it sounds to me is sour grapes. And by the way, he wasn't the only one. I'm giving a get loss to all the MLS coaches who were complaining about referees this weekend. I heard it from my guy, Ben Olsen, down there in Houston. They lost. And we heard it from Bruce Arena, too. They drew it home uh, against New York City. But to all the MLS coaches, relax, okay? We just can, started the season. Can we Put acknowledge that, like, if you look at, if, I've spoken to a lot of people, they're so divided on whether this is a handball or not. Yeah. That's where the, I mean, <laughs> It just shows you about the handball rule, the handball law, and the interpretation of this law that, yes, maybe it should change. But to single out that call as a yes. reason as to why you drop points to the Seattle Sounders. Yeah. And then to link it to all your earlier struggles, I, I, I think is a, is a little bit much. Okay, speaking of struggles, it. Herc, what about Inter-Miami? They lost one nothing to FC Cincinnati over the weekend, who are, by the way, first in the Eastern Conference. Joseph Martinez did not score in this game. Obviously, Inter-Miami didn't score. That's now five straight games without a goal for Joseph Martinez, something that has never happened to him before in Major League Soccer. Herc, are you preaching calm or alarm for Inter-Miami and Joseph Martinez amid this scoring drought? Oh, I think it's alarm time. Now... <clears throat> It may be that Inter-Miami got Joseph Martinez at a discounted rate. It may be that Atlanta is paying for a large portion of that salary, but he's still taking up a space on the field for you. And yes, he may be only 29 years of age, but he doesn't look like a spry 29, Seb. If you watch him play recently, he looks like he's laboring. He doesn't look fit. He doesn't look like the same Joseph Martinez of the Atlanta days under Tata Martino. And I understand, maybe he won't be that Joseph Martinez going forward. That Joseph Martinez who completely took the league by storm. A goal scoring ratio capacity that we've not probably seen since Robbie Keane. That, now, that may not be the Joseph Martinez we have going forward. This is a Joseph Martinez who looks like, since his injury, I should say since 2017, a player who's missed extensive time in three different seasons, 
whether it was his hamstring or twice because of his knee, once because of the ACL, and a second time to go back in there and clean it to try to correct something. And now we're coming into this season, and he doesn't look like a shadow of himself. Mm. Uh, It's time for alarm. It really is. I would say alarm here, Herc, not just for Joseph Martinez, but for Inter-Miami. I was watching this game with a very careful eye. I had Cincinnati's team total over one and a half. And if not for some very bad finishing for FC Cincinnati, they could have won this game two, three, four, nothing. Brandon Vasquez had an amazing sitter. And actually, Cincinnati's manager, Pat Noonan, came out after the game and said, this was our worst performance of the year. He blamed guys coming back from the international break. And yet they still beat Inter-Miami, what I would say, Herc, was pretty comfortably, right? It was one nothing in the second half. Inter-Miami was the team that needed to score, and FC Cincinnati looked like they were much more likely to get a goal before Inter-Miami. There's a lot of frustration you talk about with the LA Galaxy. It's starting to happen with Inter-Miami. You watch body language around this team. Neville's getting upset on the sideline. I saw DeAndre Yedlin, a guy who's usually pretty cool-headed, getting frustrated in this game. I'm worried about Inter-Miami. They won their first two They've lost four straight since. And whenever we talk about Lionel Messi, Herc, we always say, oh, they need him for off the field. MLS needs him for their Apple package, whatever. Inter-Miami needs something now for this season, or it could go off the rails. They're 10th in the Eastern Conference. I know it's very, very early. If the season ended today, they'd be out of the playoffs. And that's with nine teams out of each conference making it. So time for Inter-Miami. You know, we, we talk about this team a lot, but the results, the product, still leaving a lot to be desired, at least on the field. All right, that'll do it for this edition of Football America's Herc. Show us what you're wearing real quick. I oh, like your gear. a little something huh? from 2-3 Threads. Look, that's Kobe for sure, but then you could see me. Re- that, that's, that's me right there celebrating. The yes. First, the first championship. There he is. Where, what, what are you wearing? El Kaiser. Rafa. Look at that. There you go. Classic jersey. Back when Mexican soccer Beautiful. was producing world-class players. He was a world-class player. He was a world-class player. All right, that'll do it for this edition of Football Americas. We will be back on Thursday. Lots to discuss, including some midweek CONCACAF Champions League action. He's Herc. I'm Seb. Thanks for watching. We'll see you in 72 hours.